0: Today's reading is Matthew one eighteen to 18-25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she, found to be, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. <clears throat> but as he considered these things... and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. You may be seated.
1: And as you're being seated, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Uh, We thank you uh, that you have not left us alone in darkness. We thank you, as we've already sung, that you appeared. And you appeared to save us from our sins, uh, to draw people to yourself. And, And this morning, Lord, even as we've also sung, Lord, we recognize that there is still coming a day when you will return and make all things new. And today is not that day. And so we think right now, Lord, especially of our brothers and sisters in China who face persecution because they profess the name of Jesus, because they have made you, Jesus, a king over their life. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen these brothers and sisters in the face of great trial, that they would indeed suffer well and be faithful to the end. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. As Brett said, my name is Jake. Part of the team here at Christ City, uh, we're planting in 2019. I know he said 2013. Uh, we don't have a time machine. You're like, how did we afford that? Uh, we don't have a time machine. We're planting in 2019. We're really excited about that. Um, Allison actually wanted to come to the church as well too. We said no, just one worship leader is. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to be with you this morning. Having an, an existential crisis. Who am I? Uh, what am I doing here? Uh, for some of us, has become a bit of a Christmas tradition. What am I doing here? Who, who am I? Uh, during the Christmas season, perhaps you'll attend uh, uh, countless functions where you'll, you'll meet somebody, and, and you'll feel like you have to justify why that person should continue to talk to you, right? I swear I'm interesting. I swear I have a, a good joke to tell you later down the line. Please talk to me. Or, or, or maybe uh, you're like many in Vancouver. You'll spend uh, Advent, uh, Christmas... Uh, Bowling alone, uh, by yourself, uh, alone in a season that's supposed to—at least we're told—be filled with family and fun and and community. We have these existential crises during during Advent, don't we? Who am I? Who am I? And And what doesn't help the situation is that you and I, on our own, are completely unable to know ourselves. Isn't this true? Uh, in the, the mid-1980s, a guy named Walker Percy, he wrote a book called uh, Lost in the Cosmos, the last self-help book. And it was a satire on self-help books. And in that book, uh, Walker Percy, he opens with a quote from Nietzsche. And Frederick Nietzsche, according to Percy, says this, "'We are unknown, we knowers to ourselves. Of necessity, we remain strangers to ourselves.' We understand ourselves not. In ourselves, we are bound to be mistaken. For each of us holds good to all eternity the motto, each is the farthest away from himself. As far as ourselves are concerned, we are not knowers. A late, later, Percy adds that an alternative title to the book that could have been. Why is it possible to learn more in 10 minutes about the Crab Nebula in Taurus, which is 6,000 light years away, than you presently know about yourself, even though you've been stuck with yourself all your life? Isn't it true? We are lost in the cosmos. We are unknown, we knowers, to ourselves. And perhaps this is most acutely felt uh, at Christmas. And strange as that might sound, or as this might sound, uh, the good news this morning is that Matthew is very concerned with identity. Uh, Jesus' identity. Who is Jesus? And subsequently, our identity. Who are we? But instead of introspection, Matthew will say that the key to getting to know ourselves is getting to know a, a, another person. And, and whether you're a Christian or not, I think this morning uh, you'd agree with me that this is true. The, the key to getting to know ourselves is, is, in fact, getting to know another person. Uh, l- let me give you the example. If you don't know, I'm married. I have three kids, uh, Harvey, Theo, and Marcus. And they are delightful. They are beautiful. They are joyous. They're also uh, infuriating. Uh, and, and, and young boys. And over the course of the five years that we've had these three boys, or I guess Three boys in five years. You can do the math there. We've had boys for five years at least, right? Over the course of this time, uh, these boys have exposed in Maisie, my wife and I, uh, depths of selfishness and, and greed and, and anger that we, we didn't know previously existed. Conversely, we've also experienced depths of love and joy and laughter that we had never experienced uh, ever before. Maisie and I have come to know ourselves as we've got to know these three boys. And I want us to take this principle and blow it up on a grander, more existential scale as we come to our text this morning, Matthew one, eighteen to twenty five. As Fred showed us in the first week of Advent, Matthew in his genealogy wants us to know one thing for sure Jesus is the Messiah. He is the hope of God's people. Jesus is the one who will come and make all things new. Matthew is very concerned about this. All the Old Testament promises and prophecies are fulfilled or a resounding yes in Jesus. See, if we're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, unfamiliar with the church, you're you're new here this morning, it'd be tempting to believe that what we read here is just a, a nice Jewish thing. Oh, that's nice. That's somebody else's Uh, ancestry DNA results, but that has nothing to do with me. And what I want to say this morning is that this has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with us. Specifically, if you're taking notes, here's the outline. I want us to see three things about Jesus. Three things about Jesus and what they have to do with us this morning. First thing, Jesus, born of the Spirit and the Virgin. Jesus, second thing, rescuer from our sin. And Jesus... Emmanuel, God with us. Three points, nice and simple. Uh, Let's go. First, Jesus, born of the Spirit and the Virgin. If you have your Bible, Matthew 1.18. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. It helps. Okay, It helps. Grab a Bible at the back, Matthew 1.18, on your phone or in physical form. Let's look at that now together. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Let's just stop there for a second. Uh, That is strange, right? We we should acknowledge the the, the strangeness of that out of the gate, right? We should acknowledge that. Uh, We've taken a a biology class, a, a, a sex ed class. We know how the song goes. It takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight, right? We, we, we understand that. Good. I don't have to go any further. If you need further description this morning, talk to whoever you came with. <laughs> That's not what's happening here, though. Right? What did we read? She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Let's, let, let, let's back it up for a second. Uh, Mary and Joseph are betrothed. And, and this betrothal, it's not a word we use anymore, but it's kind of like an intense engagement. Uh, it's really like they're married already. And they're betrothed. And so they're spending this year apart. Mary in her father's house, and, and Joseph in, in his own place, you know, he's getting the place ready for her, buying new furniture, all that kind of stuff, preparing it so it's nice, putting some incense in there maybe. I don't know what's happening. It's this year-long period of waiting. And Mary, who, who really is 13, 14 years old maybe, uh, is found to be with a, a, a child. And it's only after this year that she'll go into to Joseph's home that, that, that they'll sleep together, that they'll consummate the marriage. And, and Matthew makes it very clear. He wants us to know in our text twice uh, that Joseph and Mary, they, they didn't know each other in that way. And then what we just read, before they came together, and then in verse 25, Matthew reminds us that Joseph, what? Knew her not, knew her not, until she had given birth to a son. And so we, we end up where we began. How did this happen? How did it come about that she, that Mary, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It's worth noting that at the time when Matthew was writing this, there were other competing narratives that talked about gods taking the form of of typically a man coming down and sleeping with human women, producing some sort of demigod uh, offspring. Uh, Anybody here like Brad Pitt? The first gathering was not a Brad Pitt kind of crew, but this gathering is, yeah, all right. Uh, Brad Pitt, Achilles, the movie Troy, if you remember that movie. Uh, Achilles is the offspring of his immortal mom, uh, Thetis, and, and the mortal king, uh, Peleus. right? Uh, there were these other narratives at the time. And so Matthew and Luke, even as well, are very careful not to imply or even suggest that this is simply a case of the Holy Spirit coming and having sex with Mary. They're not saying that's what's happening here. And that's good because what they are saying is happening here is even better. Look at Matthew 1. Sorry, where am I right now? Matthew 1, uh, 18. Uh, Look at that first sentence. Matthew says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Literally, now the genesis of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And let me ask you, Christ City, and maybe you don't know, but I'll ask anyway. Is there another time you can think of when the Spirit was involved with creating? When the Spirit was involved uh, with genesising, Genesis, right? The beginning of the world, of, of all creation. Here's a picture Matthew's painting for us, and it's glorious, and if you want to close your eyes and visualize this, do it with me. The Holy Spirit made the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, into a human being. Except this time, the Spirit isn't, isn't knitting together land masses. He's knitting limb to limb. He's not creating beasts to roam the Sahara. He's creating a heart to pump blood to a body. This time, he's not establishing the sun and the moon in the sky. He's establishing a wildly complex brain with wildly complex components. Do we know the ins and outs of how it came to be that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit? No. And if anybody presents you with like a chart of like, this is how it happened, run, right? We don't know that there's beautiful mystery here. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we can and we should affirm that it was a work of the Holy Spirit to Genesis, Jesus Christ. Listen to how one commentator summarizes it. Just as the Spirit was hovering over the faces of the waters at creation, so here, for our salvation, the Spirit overshadowed, and that's a Luke term, Mary's womb, making God's Son into one of us. With bones and brains and blood, with lungs and lips and lip nodes, with head and heart and hands, Jesus was born of the Spirit and of the Virgin. And we have to start there that, this morning, Christ City. See, earlier in Matthew 1.16, maybe you noticed this in the first week of Advent when, when Fred preached on the genealogy, but what we find in the genealogy is this, this formula, Right? right? Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah, Judah, the father of Perez, right? The father of the father of the father of. But when we get to verse 16, look in your Bibles at Matthew 1. What do we see? And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. We find this break in this pattern here. Why? Joseph isn't Jesus's biological father so we're left with the question, how then is it true that Jesus is of the line of David? How is that true? Look at verse 21, 24, and 25 with me. Because it's important that Jesus is of the line of David. If he's the one long prophesied, look at verse 21. The angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. And verse 25. But knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And it it ends like this. And he called his name Jesus. In naming this child that was in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, Joseph is formally adopting Jesus as his son. And in formally adopting Jesus as his son, Joseph, right, what does the angel say? Son of David, is bringing Jesus as well into the line of of David. Do do you see this, Christ? And the question we should be asking now is, Jake, that's cool Bible stuff, but what does it have to do with any of us right now? How does this help me answer the question, who am I? Why does it matter that Jesus was born of the Spirit and of the Virgin? And, And there's two things I want to say here. And the first point of application is often skipped over, and we're not going to skip over it this morning. It's really important. It's really simple. I want us to stand in awe and in worship at the glory of God in the incarnation of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Have you've been around the church for a long time, you've heard this story, what? A hundred times? 120 times? 200 times? Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me something I don't know. This is intended to, meant to, inspire awe and worship and and wonder in us. Jesus is fully God, born of the Spirit. Fully man, born of the Virgin. C.S. Lewis, he said in, in one place that this is the grandest of all miracles. In another place, he says this. The central miracle asserted by Christians is the Incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this, or exhibits this, or results from this. Advent is a season, firstly and and most importantly, of God's glory on full display. Love, joy, peace, hope, the traditional four Sundays of Advent, those aren't things we're supposed to manufacture in ourselves. I can remember growing up, I I, I would be full of anticipation and excitement, and I would convince myself I could hear reindeer on my roof on Christmas Eve, right? I I, I knew it. I could hear them. That sort of of fake excitement uh, based in fiction, uh, that little sliver of that— Blown up is what we're intended to feel and experience and know in the Advent season. We have something much more concrete, much more real in the coming of Jesus, the Son of God. Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that because God put on flesh, lived among us a perfect sinless life, and died on the cross for our sins, that this is therefore now true. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him. That's Jesus, the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. This has everything to do with the question, who am I? Because if you and I are made, are designed, are built... To reflect the glory of God, we need to stand in awe and worship at the glory of God seen in the incarnation. Meditate on this this week. Think about this this week. Allow yourself to be moved to worship this week. And yet, reflecting God's glory is all we can do. Uh, There's a helpful reminder here as well that in recognizing Jesus as the God who became man, uh, we realize, we remember uh, that, that, that we are not, right? Jesus, born of the Spirit and the Virgin. Jake, born of John and Lori of Windsor, Ontario. Perhaps you're charging into this Advent season uh, with all the confidence, omnipotence of a divine being. You and you alone uh, will write your mother's and your aunt's relationship. You will do this. You will do this, right? Uh, perhaps you're a parent here, and, and you've scheduled each day, each fun day, and it will be fun, kids, so help me. Each day will be a fun activity, and you will do that activity, and you will take a picture at the right point, and you will smile. And I will put it on Instagram, and people will think I'm very, very good at this. Some of us are so sad, so sad during Christmas because we come into it with divine expectations. Let's just kill those right now. We come into it believing that the world will simply bend to our will, our vision, for just at least this one month. Just give me one month. My visit with my family will look like this. My Christmas dinner will taste like this. My evenings will be spent like this. My work bonus will be this much. And when those things don't happen, uh, crushed, devastated. This was my one month. Where's the hope in any of this? Now, here's the second thing I want to say on this point I may be born of John and Lori of Windsor, Ontario, but as my wife reminded me recently, I am born of the Spirit as well. And if you're in Jesus, you are born of the Spirit as well. In Jesus, the Spirit worked to make Him a human being in Mary's womb. And for many of us here this morning, long after we exited our mother's womb, the Spirit worked in our lives to make us a new creation. And do you want to know what the primary work of the Holy Spirit is? Do you want to know what He loves to do? Create and recreate. Create and and, and recreate. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. Uh, In in John 3, Jesus is speaking to a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he's telling Nicodemus that he has to be born again. And Nicodemus, you know, he might have lived back then, but but he knows how this works. Uh, Hold on a second. How can I go back to my mom's womb? That that seems a bit difficult. I, I don't think I want to do that. And Jesus says in John 3, 5, he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Advent means coming. Coming. Jesus came into the world at the first Advent. You know that. And each Advent we celebrate since the coming of Jesus is a reminder that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, has come into our lives. We have been rebirthed. Made new. He has called us his children. He has secured for us something much greater than familial approval. The happiest Christmas dinner. Or the work bonus we think will finally fulfill us. It's also a reminder that Jesus, by his spirit, wants to continue to fill us anew. That He wants to come more and more and more and more into our hearts and be the object and desire of all of our affections. That He would come and be the fullness of His love in us. And if you're in Jesus this morning, that is who Jesus says you are. That is His desire for you. I I guarantee it, Christ city. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus... Advent is really simply an invitation to new life. An invitation to be reborn in Jesus. But we have to continue our story. Look at your Bibles with me. Verse 19 all the way to 21. Let's keep on reading. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which she is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, even today, and maybe just barely, but even today we can see where the scandal would be here, right? Mary has not slept with Joseph, and everybody knows that. And Joseph, it says, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He's a just man. He observed Jewish laws. Right? He, that, that's what that means. He was a just man. And, and we also see here, unwilling to uh, put her to shame, he's a, a compassionate man. Because what this would have looked like is, is Joseph uh, bringing Mary and her family to trial for adultery. Public shaming. Public condemnation. In the Old Testament, God's people would have stoned Mary. Now, under Roman law, they couldn't do that, but she would have been shamed. Outcast. And then it says, as Joseph considered these things, and in fact, what does our text say in verse 19? He resolved to do this, to divorce her. Uh, He gets this angelic vision. And and if an angelic vision is like a bridge too far from you, like we just talked about like a pregnant virgin, uh, so keep up this morning. Notice. Notice. Notice what the angel says in verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Don't miss what Matthew is doing here. Jesus literally means Yahweh will save. And so the angel says this to Joseph. Name him Yahweh will save for he will will save his people from their sins. Hold on a second. Who who will save his people from their sins? Yahweh saves. Yahweh will save or, or, or Jesus. Will, will he do it or or will Yahweh saves do it? Maybe this helps if we're confused right now. The name Jesus is just the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name that gives us Joshua. Joshua in the Old Testament, we read, was a great leader of God's people, led God's people into the promised land. But if you've read Joshua before, you know that Joshua isn't the hero of the story. It's it's Yahweh. Joshua was to play a role in God's saving plan. But here, here in Matthew 1, Jesus is the plan. Jesus isn't merely a human leader dependent upon God for success. Jesus, Matthew wants us to see this so clearly, Jesus is God. And as God, he himself is to be the agent of salvation. Uh, One Bible teacher in Portland, Tim Mackey, he helpfully summarizes this when he says, the meaning of his name speaks to his destiny. He will save people from their sins, but also to his identity. He will do this as God in Christ's city. Matthew is making it very, 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 very hard this morning for you to leave here thinking that you can take a Jesus who is just a good teacher. Matthew says that Jesus doesn't exist. Matthew is making it very, very hard for you this morning to leave here thinking you can just take a Jesus who is just simply a political revolutionary, right? Some sort of utopian communist. Matthew is making it very, very, very hard for you this morning to ignore Jesus and the Bible's unified claim that Jesus is God incarnate who who primarily came to deal with our sin. In seeing Jesus as God who rescues us from sin, we learn who we are in our greatest need. We are sinners. And I understand this morning that that is a contested notion. That that might be might not be, rather, the thing that you think is uh, the greatest need in your life. You're thinking to yourself right now, I can list five other things, right? Five other things that are more pressing than my sin. And, and Matthew, well, he's a religious guy, right? He's writing in the Bible. That talks about sin, right? Matthew doesn't really care about political things or, 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 or social things. Let's just stop for a second and just consider, consider with me, the context of the Christmas story. A Mary, this pregnant teenager, pregnant virgin teenager, right? Joseph, this shamed husband, later will read that they go to Bethlehem. Why are they going to Bethlehem? For the census, right? right? We, we've heard the story before. For the census. Why, are there, why is there a census being taken? Because they're under Roman occupation. And Rome wants to know how hard they should put their thumb on Mary and Joseph. How hard they should put their thumb on God's people. How much can we juice them for? Do you think Matthew is ignorant of social and political needs? Hogwash is the nicest word I can think right now. That's garbage. Matthew's aware of all those things, and yet, and yet... Matthew wants to make it very hard for his Jewish readers to misinterpret Jesus as primarily a solution to their political or social problems. Matthew is saying this, the true slave master is not the Roman centurion, it's your sin. (sighs) Salvation from sin? We just need better social security programs. Salvation from sin... What we need is political upheaval, a complete upsetting of the status quo, uh, the just punishment of the puppeteers who pull the world's strings for their financial gain. Salvation from sin? The entire narrative of the Bible is so, so clear on this. At the heart of the human problem, as one person said, is the problem of the human heart, is our sin. And sin is humanity's rebellion against our Creator God the throwing off of his lordship, the doubting that what he wants for us is good and right and true. First John. In First John, John summarizes why Jesus came like this. You know that he, that Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' ministry begins... Not with handing out leaflets or organizing a rally, but by calling people to what? Repentance. Matthew 3, repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they are being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confess their sins. And Matthew 9, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Why does Jesus heal this paralyzed man? Matthew 9, 6, so that you, both those on that day and us today, so that we might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission reaches its climax, its its apex, uh, as he is crucified on the cross, nailed to that tree. His blood will be shed. It will be poured out. Why? Again, don't miss this. Matthew 26, which is poured out his blood for many. Why? Why? For forgiveness of sins, it is, it is easy, to look at the problem out there and call it for what it is. And and don't mishear me, Christ City. Jesus will come and He will deal with the problem out there. But it is so easy for us to justify and rationalize the, the problem in here, to reason with it. It's not that big not that scary. doesn't happen that often. And if you think Advent is only about Jesus coming to deal with the evil you see outside of you, then let me humbly suggest, friends, that you don't know the Jesus of Advent. It is only when, as Jesus will tell us later in the book, in Matthew's gospel, we recognize that we are the poor in spirit, you and I, the poor in spirit, that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So far, getting to know Jesus has led us to see ourselves as non-divine people with a sin problem. Merry Christmas. But if you are in Christ, you are born again. You are rebirthed. You are saved. And every spiritual blessing in heaven and in earth is yours. And again, let's just stop because I understand that there's a tension here. This sounds to many of you too binary, too black and white, too in or out. I want us to look finally to speak to this tension at this last name we find given to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three. 23, look in your Bibles with me. It says this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love that we sung, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That is one of my favorite songs, even outside of Advent. As is our custom here, we like to say this: Advent is is God's stubborn reminder that things are not the way they should be. And so as we sing that song, we long for a day when Jesus will come and make all things new. We long for that day. We, we wait eagerly for that day. But as we know, as we feel, as we'll experience, the second we leave these doors, that day is not today. But it's coming. In Revelation 21, in Revelation 21, John writes this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the hope that Advent is intended to remind us of. And this is the hope that we need to frame all of our unmet desires, expectations, hopes of this Advent season. God with us is our future hope, but also, Matthew is so good like this, it's also our hope for now. See, Matthew begins his gospel with Emmanuel, God with us, but have you noticed? Matthew ends his gospel with Emmanuel as well. Jesus says this to his disciples before he leaves, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hope for the future. Jesus is coming back. He's going to make all things new. But even now, we have been given the Holy Spirit. We've seen that. Rebirth. Made new. Christ dwelling in us. Mind-blowing stuff. And yet, and I want to, I, I want to throw a wrench into this for us, because, just because I can. I think the text demands it. Hope. And comfort isn't the only thing the name Emmanuel is supposed to inspire in us. Consider for a moment, Matthew is quoting from Isaiah 7.14. And consider the context of Isaiah 7.14. Uh, king Ahaz, king of, of, of Judah, uh, uh, has gone off the rails. God's people have gone off the rails. And so Isaiah comes to God's people. And in the beginning of Isaiah, he preaches a hard word to them, a word of, of judgment. And he says to King Ahaz, this will be assigned to you. A child will be born to a woman of childbearing age, which should also be translated as virgin. A child will be born to a woman of, of childbearing age. And, and, and after that, uh, immediately your enemies will disperse and there will be no problem to you. But soon after that, a, a bigger and badder enemy, Assyria, is coming. And Assyria will chop down the tree at the stump, at the root. Now, Isaiah has hope. As you read Isaiah, you'll find that. But in Isaiah 7.14, Emmanuel comes with this weightiness, this this heaviness of of, of judgment. For God's people, at this time, God with them meant being with them in judgment. Now, we can go further back in the Old Testament to a number of instances where, all telling the same story. A holy God dwelling among an impure, unholy people always ends poorly for us, right? Adam and Eve, they had to flee. Isaiah, he begins, right? The book of Isaiah, he, he's running. He's, he's undone. He's, he's in the throne room and it says he's undone. Uzzah, do you remember Uzzah? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uzzah touched the ark. Uzzah wasn't ceremonially pure. Uzzah died. When we look at Matthew's usage of Isaiah 714 and Emmanuel, yes, for those of us who are in Christ this morning, we should be deeply encouraged. Why? Because God with us means God for us. God with us means God will not forsake us. God with us means he will keep us until the end of the age. God with us means we will enjoy him forever. God with us is hope, love, joy, peace now. But for those who reject Jesus as the eternal Son made flesh to save us from our sins, God with us is terrifying. It's interesting to note that the the four Sundays of Advent that are typically celebrated in a more uh, church calendar uh, congregation are what? Love, joy, peace, hope. Not in that order, but those four. Love, joy, peace, hope. Do you know what the four Sundays of Advent were in the medieval church? Death, judgment, heaven, hell. And perhaps the domestication of Christmas hasn't only happened at Starbucks. Nietzsche, Walker Percy, they may be right. In fact, I think they are right. In this age, before Jesus returns, we will never fully be knowers of ourselves, and that's okay. That's okay. But Christ City, hear me. Advent forces us to answer the question, Who am I? And it forces us to answer that question in very stark, Binary and inescapable terms. Am I in or outside of Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus to save you from your sins? Have you trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone and his work on the cross and in his resurrection to save you from your sins? If you have, good, glad, rejoice. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Come, 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 make all things new. God with us is God for us. You are in Christ. Or have you rejected his diagnosis that your sin and my sin is the root of the problem? Then tremble. Tremble. Because the flip side of God with us is that God with us comes in judgment.
0: And would you stand with me as we respond this morning?